This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is the Real Estate Hour on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is your host, Sam Chandon. Welcome to the Real Estate Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Sam Chandon. The Real Estate Hour airs at noon Eastern every Friday, immediately after our show at 1 p.m. Eastern. Stay tuned to Business Radio for Behind the Markets, hosted by Professor Jeremy Siegel and Head of Research at Wisdom Tree, Jeremy Schwartz. As always, you can access our past shows using the SiriusXM On Demand feature. If you have a question during today's discussion, please do give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You can also email your questions to businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Later on the show today, I'll be joined by Dr. Robert Dietz, Chief Economist of the National Association of Home Builders. We'll be talking about the U.S. housing market, home building activity, and why we have not seen a lot of home building activity in the United States over the course of this expansion. But first, it has been just over five years since Detroit filed for the largest municipal bankruptcy in the country's history. In the year since, the city has made extraordinary strides. Today, the urban core is in the midst of an urban renaissance. That hasn't happened by accident. Driving growth, civic leaders have crafted an unprecedented level of public-private partnerships and cooperation. With me to discuss the downtown Detroit renaissance, I'm joined by one of those civic leaders, Eric Larson, Chief Executive Officer of the Downtown Detroit Partnership. Eric, thanks for coming back to the program. Uh, Sam, it's great. It's always a, a real honor and a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. You know, it has been just about five years or just a little over five years since Detroit declared bankruptcy. Could you give us a a reminder, a refresher? What were the circumstances that really led the city to that point? Well, you know, I think, Sam, it's interesting. You and I have talked about this a lot. And and quite frankly, Detroit, um, you know, uh, is in many ways a reflection of a number of you know the cities uh you know, especially in the in the middle section of our country but in general that have really struggled uh with a changing economy and you know it's hard to believe that in 1960 detroit had the highest per capita income of any city in the united states and you know and the decline that followed over the next 40 to 50 years um really was 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 very significant uh we went from you know, that kind of prosperity uh, and, quite frankly, the engine of, of not only the automotive, but um, the engine of the economy uh, in large part throughout the United States to a position of having over 60 percent child poverty. Um, you know, we had probably the highest poverty rate in the United States by 2013. We had over 90,000 abandoned buildings. 23% unemployment, again, highest in the United States, 50% you know, population was functionally illiterate, um, and 33% of the city's land was vacant. Um, so we, we faced some very, very, very challenging issues, and I think what ultimately happened was not only the political and public sectors, you know, political Sort of process, but um, you know, but also the public sector realized that it could no longer just kick this can, and it really came uh, sort of home to roost uh, when we had a new Republican governor um, elected 
Rick Schneider, uh, who you know, has now served two very successful terms in turning the state around, but most important, decided that it was important to have a very specific and deliberate urban agenda uh, that, that obviously clearly was most rooted in, in Detroit's recovery. And that and really kicked it off. When we're thinking about the causal drivers of uh, the deterioration that you're describing, you know, it might be convenient uh, to paint a broad brushstroke and say, oh, it's the dependence on, you know, the automotive sector uh, that uh, as, you know, the underlying nature of manufacturing, um, you know, the you know, the center of gravity around automotive, uh, uh, auto, uh, around cars in the United States shifting, you know, out, to some degree outside of Detroit to include other cities around the country, uh, that that really was the driver. But inevitably, I imagine it's more complex and nuanced than that. Oh, Sam, I think it is. And, then, and you've studied this, you know, not only from an economic perspective, but, you know, just from a social perspective. We had a number of things that were taking place. Um, throughout the United States, you know, the social engineering of, you know, of real estate uh, and development uh, and ultimately community building and city building. We had, um, you know, we had obviously both legislative and, and legal, uh, you know, uh, efforts and, and, uh, and issues that ultimately led to a lot of the redistricting and then, and then ultimately uh, some of the changes um, that took place. We had a population that was becoming increasingly more interested in sort of uh, independent single-family large track home ownership, and so there was the suburban sprawl uh, that took place and this gravitational pull out of the cities. As the, and it was a it was a it was sort of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because as more and more of the tax base and more and more of the the, the population uh, moved uh, further outside of the city core. Um, you know, there was less and less resource, resource to deal with what is a very large city. I mean, it's not the largest city in the United States, um, but it is a city that, that contains 140 square miles of, of, of land uh, and has a number of different communities. And so there were a whole host of things beyond just the, the decline and the globalization of the auto industry. Uh, I think that probably the, the, the best uh, and most succinct way of, uh, of, of sort of, you know, of, of wrap, you know, wrapping all of this into one phrase is that, you know, um, we got to a point where, you know, we, uh, you know, we sort of realized that change was not uh, very, uh, very appealing, but irrelevance was even less appealing. And so you Absolutely. Got to figure out how to become become relevant again. Yeah, that is uh, that is a striking way to frame it. Thinking for anyone who's been on the ground in you know uh, the urban core of Detroit over the last couple of years, uh, you, you can see firsthand. It's it's so visible uh, apart from the data that uh, you know the urban core is on a completely different trajectory today uh, than where it was uh, leading into the bankruptcy. And I would go so far as to say there were a lot of folks who were very very skeptical around you know the urban core's capacity for that kind of recovery. Uh, but we've seen it. Um, what changed during uh, bankruptcy that has allowed for that shift in trajectory? I really think the, the biggest change, Sam, that, that took place was, you know, was, uh, you know, forceful, uh, focused and deliberate leadership. Uh, we had, as I mentioned, a governor that was very focused on an urban agenda and was no longer interested in uh, you know, sort of writing future checks um, that were very difficult to cash. 
Uh, he was very focused on making sure that whatever the obligations, they were obligations that were being you know, made and dealt with and paid for in today's dollars as opposed to future you know, upside and, and, and potential. Um, he also formed a very, very strategic relationship with our current mayor, Mayor Duggan, who has just now been elected to second term, uh, highest uh, voter turnout and approval uh, rating of uh, any mayor in, you know, over the last 40 years. Um, so very, very strongly supported, but also incredibly um, focused in moving the city forward. Uh, and I think the, the last piece is um, it came at a time when more and more of the country in general uh, was recognizing that uh, these public-private partnerships, whether they're P3s or P4s, depending on how many you know, P's you want to get into the into the action, um, but that they were they were critical uh, pieces to rebuild uh, the fabric in the community of Detroit, and that the core was ultimately where you had to start. Uh, the core is where the both the the the, the you know, sort of more significant residential, but most importantly, business um, activity uh, and concentration is, and hence it ends up being the largest generation of, of revenue. And so starting there and using that to create some very significant ripples out into the rest of the city was very important. Everything that we've done, we've done um, to, not everything has been successful, but we've done um, to be replicated in other parts of the city. So if it works in the core, there may be some adjustments that are necessary, but we then take that out into other neighborhoods throughout the city. Uh, and, and I think it, I really do think that that was the single most uh, important change in our, you know, both our belief and our, and our focus was the fact that we had leadership that was ready and willing to uh, accept what was a very, very significant challenge. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Real Estate Hour on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Sam Chandon, and my guest is Eric Larson, Chief Executive Officer of the Downtown Detroit Partnership. We are talking about the renaissance uh, that is underway in uh, the urban core of Detroit. And, you know, Eric, your point's very well taken, and I think you know for some listeners who live outside of the urban core in Detroit, you know, uh, uh, they might experience some frustration hearing our conversation because there is inevitably some unevenness. Uh, as an urban economist, um, you know, looking at this historically and other case studies that we have, it, it's so essential to have a strong urban core. And it's very difficult to, you know, engineer a, a renaissance for a city or a metropolitan area without first focusing on the strength of the urban core. Um if we look at uh, you know the public-private partnerships that you mentioned, I want to ask you a little bit about you know who are the folks uh, that have been party to you know to, to some of this uh, you know championing championing of the city, uh, whether it's just in building momentum, uh, uh, forging agreements, or actually creating jobs. Before I do that, uh, you had described some pretty grim statistics around things like employment um, in uh, Detroit leading into the bankruptcy. Uh, you know, where do we find ourselves today? Uh, significantly different picture. Um, you know, our population has stabilized uh, for 40 to 50 years. We had a decline in population from roughly 2 million down to 700,000. Uh, that 700,000 has stabilized and we're starting to slowly uh, build back. Uh, it is not my expectation or do I think it's appropriate to get asphyxiated on a city that is of 2 million population. Uh, what we really need to focus on is a city that is incredibly competitive very, um, you know, very much 
built for today's knowledge-based economy, um, uh, not losing sight of you know the importance of of you know manufacturing and and skilled trades. But the reality is, uh, the city you know is going to be much more competitive, uh, but a smaller economy. Um, so we've had significant job growth just between 2011 and 2014, which was when we were really dealing with the turnaround of the bankruptcy. We had 6% um, uh, uh, growth in jobs. Uh, our vacancies went from 25% in the downtown office vacancies down to uh, single, you know, close to single digits, 11 uh, between 11 and, and 9%, uh, depending on the class of, of real estate you're looking at. But in total, 11% vacancy. Uh, we've had uh, in excess of 4,000 new residential units delivered and are on pace to deliver about 1,000 units a year now going forward, which again, you know, Sam, as you and I've talked, I mean, what you don't want to do is overbuild the market. Um, you know, really us, us developers have this wonderful, op, you know, way of when the money's there, when the, the opportunity's ripe, you know, we tend to take full advantage of it. Sometimes you can overbuild the market. Um, we really have not had that Situation capital has still been, you know, somewhat challenging to amass, uh, especially tra- traditional debt and equity in in the city. Um, so we haven't had the kind of you know, you know uh, uh, growth that has been experienced on the coasts, uh, both in terms of, of rate appreciation as well as uh, you, know, to, you, know, you know additional product being delivered on the market, um, which I think is extremely healthy. I think that you know as the economy you know, chugs along. Uh, it's inevitable. We've had sort of the longest run in the economy. Uh, you know, and everybody, you know, you're much more versed at, at, at reading the tea leaves than I, but feels that, you know, at some point it's going to slow down and by not overbuilding will be very successful. Um, it will be very important. I think the other thing, Sam, and you mentioned the neighborhoods and some of the, you know, the concern that you know, it is expressed in making sure that you know, as the tide rises, all boats are, 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 are rising as well. And we have that situation. But the, the reality is for, again, you know, 40 to 50 years, the city and the leadership within the city, both, you know, public and private sector, um, used a scattergun approach. And I think one of the biggest lessons we learned in Detroit is as important as it is to lift everyone and to really find opportunities and, and provide hope, the, the resources don't allow you to do it all at once. And so we have become extremely targeted, both, you know, from a geography perspective, you know, in terms of the geography that we focus on, but also in terms of the deployment of dollars. And I think that's an important lesson. So when we talk about how it, you know, does take folks on all side working together to, to get this done, um, and clearly that's uh, been the case in Detroit, I think for a lot of people outside of uh, the metro area, um, you know, there's clear, you know, there's still this sort of sense that, oh, you know, it's it's the automotive capital. Um, but a big part of the success story, I think, has been that you know, we've seen a meaningful diversification in employment. You know, in some of the firms that have really emerged as uh, leaders in driving the downtown renaissance uh, have not been in the manufacturing or automotive sector. You know, tell us a little bit about sort of, you know, how well Detroit is positioned as a uh, sort of a, a, a city of great importance as we move into an increasingly digital era. Yeah, I, um, that's a great point. Uh, I think that you know most of our growth actually has been fueled outside of the automotive um, sector. Uh, the automotive you know sector is still and in, an industry is still an incredibly important driver to our overall economy. It also is an in, a, a very very important. 
uh, aspect of our identity, um, which I would not, you know, again, as you go through these kinds of these kinds of issues and are trying to, to reinvent, um, you know, where you're, you will be competitive in the future, um, having a base uh, of identity is really important. And so between the automotive industry and the music industry, Detroit has some pretty incredible, um, you know, incredible history. Um, but the real growth, to your point, has been in, in organizations like Quicken Loans. In 2010, in August of 2010, Dan Gilbert, the chairman and founder of Quicken Loans, uh, decided to move his headquarters downtown. At that time, he leased space in an existing building that was built by Peter Carmano's Copyware in 2009. Uh, and it was only about 250,000 square feet, um, but it was the first sort of taste that Dan uh, Gilbert got when he came into the city, he quickly realized that for an organization that it was growing uh, very fast and was looking to uh, not only uh, attract the, the best talent, but uh, actually create an environment that was very, very conducive to really what is ultimately a millennial, largely millennial-driven economy, um, uh, he he quickly you know put in 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 effect uh, a plan to to grow that not only that business but grow his investment and and since 2010 um, uh, you know to to date he has invested over five billion dollars into the city of Detroit um, he owns over 110 different buildings uh, and is continuing to develop some of the, the largest and most architecturally significant projects that are now coming out of the ground um, are projects that are being delivered and, and driven um, by Dan Gilbert and his real estate arm Bedrock. Uh, so that's a very important diversification. About a third of the, you know, anywhere from 25% to 30% of of the workforce population in the core downtown is driven by Quicken Loans or their the family of companies. The other one that you know has has had equally as important impact on the city, but has had a, quite frankly a longer history of being at the table is the Illich family and Little Caesars Pizza. They also own the Detroit Tigers and the Detroit Red Wings, uh, and they have continued to do what is really much more focused on their core business, Little Caesars, and, and its headquarters needs, which is a very, very robust and growing pizza business internationally, uh, as well as creating a sports and entertainment district. They, over 30 years, amassed 50 city blocks. What other downtown could you amass 50 city blocks and have put into, a, into effect a development plan that is called the district that is delivering a mix of uses, but but anchored by inter, you know, the entertainment board. You are listening to The Real Estate Hour. If you've just joined us, I'm your host, Sam Chandon. My guest is Eric Larson, Chief Executive Officer of the Downtown Detroit Partnership. We're talking about the Detroit Renaissance. Uh, Eric, uh, you've, you've described the you know critically important roles that have been played by you know the the auto companies that remain sort of you know, anchors of, of the city uh, and its identity. Um, you know, Quicken Loans, the Illich family. Uh, you head up the Downtown Detroit Partnership. Uh, what uh, is the role of the partnership uh, in helping to uh, also engineer these outcomes? Well, I appreciate you, you know, raising the partnership. Um, and and before, I, you know, Sam, if I could just real quickly, you know, before I get to the partnership, which has played a, you know, a very important role, especially through our board leadership, 
um, which represents you know, all of the public and private uh, sector and, and philanthropic sector leadership that's been at the table. The, the, this, none of this navigation of the bankruptcy and ultimately the ability to preserve cultural assets and you know create an environment that has uh, the kind of toolbox that allowed us to um, to move forward, especially on the real estate front, because uh, again, traditional debt and equity was not was not as readily available. Um, the, the foundations played a huge role in that, and I think probably the foundation that led the charge uh, in many ways was the Krebsky Foundation, which is a four billion dollar foundation based in Troy, Michigan, but roots are Krebsky Five and Dime, and you know in Detroit. Uh, and uh, has invested uh, on a pretty consistent basis about you know 50% of its uh, uh, annual giving to the city of Detroit and was you know in large part uh, backing many of the things that ultimately have have provided uh, you know a, a not only a different perspective but you know an opportunity to move forward both in the way of some really interesting subsidization of, of, of projects uh, they also made some very important grants to places like the Detroit Institute of Arts. They were the largest contributor to the Q, uh, what is now M1, but the Q line, which is our, our downtown trolley circulator that is, has every intention of expanding up into the suburbs and, and beyond. Um, so really a, a demonstration of changing in mobile, you know, mobility. Um, so the, the foundation community also was very important. But in terms of the partnership, you know, we're a hundred, almost a hundred-year-old uh, civic organization. Uh, it is represented by the C-suite leadership of our corporate, philanthropic, and public sectors, uh, and uh, and we, you know, started, you know, almost a hundred years ago with the mission to light the Ambassador Bridge, which is the the, the the bridge that has been so debated in the international news. It's a privately owned bridge that is one of the highest cross, you know. Tra- uh, you know, trade crossings between Canada and, and the United States, uh, Windsor and Detroit. Um, and But fast forward, uh, what the partnership has really focused on doing is being a balanced voice as all of these changes take place, as a convener, and quite frankly, as an, as a, you know, as a, a, an economic driver. So much of what we focused on is the clean, safe kinds of activities. We run the business improvement zone, which you know, it was voted in by the property owners. We also manage seven of the downtown parks, uh, and that is really important because the investment in public space ultimately creates, um, uh, you know, an opportunity for for economic development. Campus Martius, which was the first that we did 15 years ago in the heart of the city, has seen over $2 billion of reinvestment around the park because it's created this environment that you know becomes very very enticing and very you know you know basically a, a, a wonderful front door and amenity. So a lot of what we do is really promote intelligent, you know, and you know, and and in sort of dense urban focus and and resilient communities. Yeah. You mentioned you know the Ambassador Bridge um, and you know the connection to Canada. When I think about you know you know clear very tangible examples of you know the you know uh, interdependence of some aspects of the Canadian and U.S. economies, I can't think of a better example than than Detroit and Windsor. Um, are, is there any anxiety right now uh, amongst you know, public and private officials in the Detroit area uh, surrounding some of the challenges we've been experiencing in our uh, trade relationship with Canada? 
Oh, I think there's anxiety. Uh, yes, there's definitely anxiety. I think there's anxiety throughout the United States. I think there's also, you know, you know I've, I have seen, um, you know, just in the real estate activities that I have, uh, you know, the impact that even just the conversation about tariffs and so forth has had on our industry, both in terms of material and labor. Um, but I, I think the interesting thing, and this gets back to, um, you know, the, what ultimately happened in Detroit, um, if you if you sort of listen to the sort of the normal channels and the you know I, again I'm, I don't mean mainstream you know from a political and from a you know pulpit standpoint but if you sort of listen to the the common narrative you'll miss what's really happening underneath and the re- the reality is what's happening underneath and one of the things that we learned I mean we sort of learned a number of things as we went through this in terms of driving change. But one of them was this idea of, you know, trust and coordination. And so what you'll see is even between us and, and, and Windsor, so the, the mayor of Detroit and the mayor of Windsor, obviously the business community and the residential community, uh, are talking about ways that we can, outside of what's happening on the national stage, can continue to grow both economies, can continue to be, you know, very, very important, not only trade partners, but but expanded community partners. And I think, you know, I think that's, that's something that sort of gets lost in, in the sensational headlines. Uh, before before we close, I have one last question for you. Uh, you know, we'll have you know mayors, uh, you know heads of economic development corporations, other civic leaders, you know listening into the program. You know, given your experience uh, in Detroit, uh, what are some of the lessons learned uh, that uh, you know, are most portable to you know other cities around the country that may be experiencing to varying degrees similar challenges? Uh, Sam, I think that um, one you know none of these cities compete. City, but city to city, they compete as regions and as states. Um, and so, if you don't have a strong, strong leadership and and, and strong vision, uh, not only for the city but for the region and for the state, um, it's very difficult to compete in today's world. I think it's also very important to get to a place where you are willing to accept things that are not the norm. Um, you know, the, the the thing that had to happen with us in Detroit was we had to stop sort of thinking that the old way of doing business was going to solve this, and we had to open up our eyes and be willing to embrace, you know, all kinds of different ideas, many of which, you know, ultimately didn't work. And then I think the, the, the last piece is I would not underestimate making tough decisions through very, very, uh, you know, very, very, you know, sort of closely monitored public-private and philanthropic partnerships. Um, not everything is going to be able to be dealt with at once. Um, there is a there is often a, a rush to try and solve the, the the large problems all at once. We still have significant issues to overcome. You know, our school system is next on the on the agenda. Obviously, continuing to build rebuild the neighborhoods throughout the city is is very important, and continuing to to be able to provide, you know, quality jobs and access to those quality jobs um, are really important. But that doesn't happen unless, you know, there is there is some some real, you know, trust and and some some uh, some belief, and it has to happen, you know, with the public, private, and philanthropic sectors. It can't be any one of those on its own. Thank you so much for coming onto the program, Eric. No, it's great to talk to you, Sam, and I really appreciate it. Like I said, it's an honor.
That was Eric Larson, Chief Executive Officer of the Downtown Detroit Partnership. We're going to take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, I'll be joined by Dr. Robert Dietz, Chief Economist of the National Association of Home Builders. You're listening to the Real Estate Hour on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 